What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Confessions of a Native Son. I'm your host, Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and aspiring author who enjoys thought-provoking and engaging dialogue about race, culture, and business. On this episode, open up about my passion for studying African-American history, how I've managed to cultivate that passion at the Naval Academy and Graduate School at Rutgers Newark, and how I believe today's Black youth can benefit from learning more about their own history. As always, thanks for sharing your time with me, and I hope you enjoy the show. I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't ever feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase your dreams, black man. And get that green, black man, we the original man. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of my show. It's truly a pleasure you all spending your time with me, you know, allowing me to share my voice with you. It's Saturday, February 2nd. It's about 6 p.m. Um, it's been a long, I won't say it's been a long day. Saturdays are always interesting for me because I coach boxing at the Ironbound Boxing Academy every Saturday. So I run it from 10 to 2 along with um, one of my helpers, uh, volunteers, uh, Steve Morris. But the I love it when I go into my gym, man. I just see all the kids and just see them coming in to spend their Saturdays with us and, and working. I like the window, you know, from 10 to 2. Sometimes it's exhausting because, you know, I run the gym on Friday nights. I come home, I drop the kids, I drop the kids off, I come home, eat, go to sleep. And when I wake up, it's like, boom, I'm right back in the hustle. And Friday is a hard day for me because I teach so many boxing classes. But even though, you know, I have to peel myself out of bed to get to the gym on Saturday, I generally enjoy seeing all the smiling faces and seeing all the kids that I haven't seen all week and, you know, it just reminds me when I'm in the gym on a Saturday and I see, you know, parents in there working out with their kids and everyone's hitting the bag of just why this Ironbound Boxing mission is so important. You know, this concept of providing free uh, amateur boxing programs to youth and young adults in low-income communities because so many of our, our kids are growing up in these these communities that just feel like they're, they don't have any hope, they don't have any outlet. And I know that at least if I get them in the gym, you know, we can help them build some momentum it's funny, there was a young man in there today, and I asked him how he stays out of trouble. Um, and he says he comes to the gym, and, you know, it's a blessing to be able to, to keep that going. And this is what fuels me and everything I'm doing right now. It's why I got to, you know, make sure I get Ironbound Boxing to the level it needs to be so that I can make our program in Newark sustainable and God willing grow this program and support other um, inner cities all across the country. You know, it's funny in the intro, you hear me say that I'm an aspiring author and investor. And I, I really mean that. You know, I was thinking it today. I was like, man, I'm an aspiring investor. Like, who, who the hell is Mike Stebman to think he's going to be an investor one day? You know, when you, you see all these, I don't like me not having like this, this big money or finance background. But I've just come to realize, you know, you got to speak stuff into existence. And I'm going to do it. And the reason I say investor is because for me, uplifting communities of color is really, um, we gotta get our financial independence up. We've gotta start owning some equity and stuff. And this is why I'm doing this podcast. You know, this is intellectual proper, this is intellectual property for me. Um, it's my voice and the knowledge and the stuff I've accumulated over the years. Let me start to put this out there and start to speak into some stuff. And you know, one of the things I wanna do once Ironbound Boxing hits is, and I have the, the capital, I want to use my knowledge and expertise building Ironbound Boxing and God willing, raise some capital to help do micro loans for um, founders of color in urban communities because, you know, we don't have a lot of access to capital um, these days. And I really found this. I really like the niche of like the, 
the micropreneur, you know, that single mom with like six kids and just has hopes and dreams, but really doesn't have any cash on hand to help bring that to reality. And so when I call myself an aspiring investor, you know, I'm going to fill that niche. I want to cut micro loans for our people to help them deal with the cash flow issues they have and also help them go from zero to zero to one. I'm not there yet currently, but, you know, what I do in my time is, you know, I, I try to make time for people that, you know, come to me with questions and whatnot and, you know, want to pick my brain about what I'm doing with Ironbound. And, you know, I'm I, I'm going to start actually just creating some IP on my little hustle. I think for a lot of us, it's like you don't feel like you have um, the credibility until you make it right? Like you don't really feel like you have any value to add, but I know at least I learned this, you know, in the veteran entrepreneurial community is that there's so many people that wish they could be in the position I'm in currently and they have no idea how to get here. And so even in my little bit of experience, you know, running a venture and being an entrepreneur full time, you know, I, I do know a little bit of stuff. I know a lot of stuff. Let me just, I'm going to own it. I'm going to be more confident. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm figuring it out and I'm going to figure it out because I read a, a lot and I spend a lot of time with smart people smarter than me and I ask really hard questions. So, yes, I can provide value to early stage, you know, entrepreneurs, particularly veterans and people of color looking to achieve some sort of liftoff. Um, and that that's valuable. And I want to, you know, use this knowledge and really get in there and help more people that look like me. I mean, that's what a lot of my platforms are about, whether it's dope coffee, you know, ironbound boxing, you know, we really want to uplift people of color and particularly people that look like us. So before we get into this show, which I'm this at this theme of today's show, which I'm really excited about, I want to give a shout out to the sponsors. You heard me drop them first. I'll give a shout out to dope coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversations. Candid conversations. And next is my brand, Ironbound Boxing, a fitness brand committed to sharing our love, passion, and appreciation for boxing within companies, organizations, and low-income communities. As a social enterprise, we proudly dedicate a significant percentage of our proceeds to fund free boxing programs for inner-city youth and young adults. Yeah, man, I'm really proud of Ironbound and Dope. I'm I'm actually recording this episode in the Ironbound Boxing hoodie, which you can get at ironboundacademy.com. But just more of just kind of seeing this stuff come to fruition. It hasn't been easy and it's been, you know, it has been very challenging. This was a challenging week for me just from a, a mental perspective. But, um, you know, seeing these these brands and seeing what we're doing, even with this podcast is just it's just a blessing and you know we're just gonna keep fighting and keep pushing you know no matter what um before i get into theme too i want to open up because this show is called confessions so confession of a native son so i want to i do want to make a confession no matter what you see in our online presence if you see us in the media or whatever make no mistake i'm always you know fighting and battling demons you know um it's crazy some days i'm like the most confident person in the world and other days i'm like what am i doing I feel like there's no turning back, you know, um, and it's, it's challenging. And one of the things I was one of the challenges I have right now is just getting more clients, you know, client acquisition. Um, it, it's on days it can feel like it's very on days it can feel like no one loves you. You know, nobody's hitting you up via email. You're not getting anything. You check your phone. Nobody's calling. No text messages. No nothing. And in the entrepreneur space, 
you know, sometimes when you're busy, you know, you're just feeling like you're, you're busy, you feel like you're making progress. But the thing that really drives your business is like, you know, the sales and getting those sales meetings and, you know, closing deals and sending out proposals. And so I've been I was busy for a lot of years and now I'm really focused on sales. So I have to create that momentum. I got to create that action. And, you know, I'm not being busy just for the sake of being busy me anymore. I want, you know, sales calls and sales meetings. And it's just some days it's like the waiting game. You're not getting anything and just keeping your mind from wondering is one of the challenges you have and just keeping that confidence going. So that was something I was dealing with this week. And I had a good week, man. I had like I had like a meeting at LinkedIn on Monday and then I met with Audible on Wednesday, which was great. But there were like two days in there where I wasn't getting any emails or anything. And then Friday, I was so damn busy. It didn't matter anyway because I was teaching so many classes. But just keeping my head on and, um, you know, just staying focused. And so one of the things I did today when I got back from the academy, instead of coming straight home and recording this podcast episode, I decided to go to a little coffee shop we got here in, in town called Blueprint Cafe, which is super dope. Grabbed some food and just did some reading. Um, I'm reading like three books. It was like started off with Grit by Angela Duckworth, which is a great book. Then switched over to The Magic of, Think- Magic of Thinking Big, which is another great book on like the psychology of success. Then I have this marketing book, the one page marketing plan. So, you know, it's good because I can't focus on the stuff I, I don't have control over. All I can do is focus on what I can do. And for me, when I'm wherever I'm at my lowest, I'm saying, screw it, man. I'm just going to get into the knowledge. I'm going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to start taking action because even just going to the coffee shop and picking up those books and learning tips and writing it down, that makes me feel like I'm taking some kind of action um, to move this thing forward. And so now it's just all about like taking that knowledge and applying it. And we're going to be good. But I just want you all out there to know that like no matter even with this podcast, like this stuff takes um I'm not a superhero or anything, right? Like I'm I'm figuring this stuff out, but you know, I've been at it a little bit longer than some people. And so that's why I'm able to move in the light I'm moving and feel confident to drop stuff like this. But you know, make no mistake, man, it's a hustle and it's a grind and it's nerve-wracking as hell. And I gotta read a ton, I read a ton of books to just, you know, keep my sanity and I meditate and you know, work out. I'm gonna work out after this, this after I film record this show. So yeah, that's the stuff that I'm dealing with. But that's not the theme of the that's not the theme of today's show. But since I have my own platform, I figure I do got to throw those little nuggets in there, you know, because I just want to show up as authentic as I possibly can for you all out there that are supporting us and listening to this show. But what I actually want to talk about on this show is um, this theme for today is that I just love African American history, like I I love it. Um, and I've always loved history. I got my undergrad in history from the United States Naval Academy and wrapped up my master's in American studies here at uh, Rutgers University, Newark. But I will say, like, I was always I was I got curious about African-American history, like really curious when I was at the Naval Academy and even starting at like the Naval Academy prep school. But it's really kind of took on a whole part of my personality within the last like four years. I mean, and what I mean by that, like I was always reading books, you know, about African-American history and everything. But now I just feel like a lot more, a lot more aware of the breadth and scope of it compared to what I knew before. Um, You know, growing up in East Texas, we had vacation Bible school. um, When I was younger, I was thinking like elementary school, but it was like every summer, and, you know, we would go to these different churches and pretty much have like a, a church camp. 
but it was a lot of African-American kids, youth and younger. It was a lot of African-American youth. And not only we learn, you know, about religion and, and whatnot, but, you know, they would always throw in the African-American history in there. And I participated in like the African-American history bowl, you know, where you're answering questions about like um, Martin Luther King, civil rights. Um, you know, they ask you like, what does, what does SNCC stand for? And you're like student nonviolent coordinating committee and blah, blah, blah. And that was like my real introduction to like, you know, African-American history as a as a young man, because, you know, I, we're, we're not taught this stuff in school other than like on a very surface level. It's like black history in school was like um, slavery, civil rights, and then, you know, everything is all happy and, and dandy now. And I'm sure now they probably could talk about Obama being the first black president. But I mean, you don't really like you don't there's so much more to it. Right. Like we don't really you know, we don't really know. Um, nobody's really breaking it down to you about like why um, the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the adventures of Huckleberry uh, Finn was so uh, important in American literature just because of Mark Twain's, you know, first time given human characteristics to the, to the slave, Jim, you know, um, to where like him and Tom are touching on this human level. Like nobody's breaking that down to you when you're coming up in elementary school and, you know, let alone in high school. Maybe some people were, but at least I wasn't. You know, when I was taking American history, um, advanced American history, we weren't studying like black history. We were reading like Tessa Durbeville's and all these whack Victorian era um, history books or literature books, whatever. But yeah, I've, I've just loved it. And, you know, for me, the the when I got curious, let me tell you, I got really curious about African-American history when I got sent to the Naval Academy prep school, because even though growing up in Texas, I was always around... Um, <laughs> it's this whole thing about school, right? Because I'm like, I was always around people that look like me, black people, black and brown people. But when I think about like my AP classes and whatnot, I was like pulled out of, I was put in a position where there weren't too many people that look like me. But at the end of the day, they were always within like walking distance. You know what I mean? Like if I was in my AP history class, at the end of the day, I was still at like Bryan High School. It wasn't like I was pulled you know, somewhere, you know, seven states away where I was like the only black person. But when I went off to the Naval Academy prep school in Newport, Rhode Island, and it was my first exposure to like that environment, I, I just, I was very aware for the first time that like I was different. And I think this is something that happens to a lot of African-Americans when we go to, to colleges that uh, people call them PWIs primarily, What's PWI stand for? Primarily white institutions, I think. Um, but that's like, it's very hard to understand. Like, you know, you're different when you're young. You know, people talk about black history and black culture. But when you go away to school for the first time and it's like, where's the black barbershops? You know, where, like, where can I go get my hair cut? Or you start to look around and like, there's just not many people at the school that look like you. And then the ones that do tend to work in like food service departments or um, maintenance or something like that, but they're actually not like attending the institution. And for me, when I started to notice this, I was just like, it was like a mirror. It was, it was like a bright light being just shown upon you. And so that was my first instincts of like really getting just curious and self-aware. And, you know, people deal with it in their own different ways. But for many of us, I think that's when we start to get curious and we start to like kind of go through this almost like a militant phase a little bit where you're just like very radical. I won't say radical, but very like, you know, pro-black and want to, you already know you're different and you just kind of own it. 
You know what I mean? And so for me, that was being at the prep school and just being like, just, it was very hard when you don't have a lot of people that look like you. And one of the first books I picked up, I remember was uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I knew about Malcolm X because, you know, he's, he's one of our historical figures. They always put him, contrast him to Martin Luther King. And I'm going to dedicate a whole episode about Malcolm X in the future, but just not today. But, you know, they always contrast him to Martin Luther King. And, you know, I did when I was younger, I did an elementary project on Malcolm X. And the teacher was like, you can't do Malcolm X. And I was like, what do you mean? He has a controversial history or whatever. And it was like this whole situation. And my mom had to come to the school. And I ended up getting to finally do my poster presentation on Malcolm X. But, you know, I just remember vaguely about it just being a big issue. But I remember being at the Naval Academy Prep School and I remember opening up the, the text and I remember Malcolm, you know, the introduction to the autobiography when he was talking about like the white devil and everything. And I just remember I had to close the book because it just didn't feel like the proper place and time for me right then because I was like, yo, this is deep. This is heavy. I don't know if this is the, the, the space to get into it. And even though I read, I probably had read into like 45 to like 45 to like 60 pages in the book. But I remember when people saw me with that book, they automatically made an assumption. They're like, what are you reading that thing for? That's like hate, you know, hate history or whatever. Um, and I didn't even have the voice to like, I mean, I could defend it passionately, but like I didn't I didn't know that much. I didn't have the full scope of like African-American history, Malcolm X, and to really to, you know, counteract that kind of um are the, the counteract the initial reaction people had to the book. And it would be on my desk. And I remember my roommate would see it or friends would see it. And I'm like, dude, what are you reading that thing for? And finally, just to the point of like, all right, I'm going to revisit this. But right now, like, let me just put this thing to the side, right? I need to come back to it. And another book. So I, what I did was I ended up picking up this other book was, um, what was it called? It was about the first African-American graduate from the Naval Academy. It's called Breaking the Color Barrier. Um, Wesley Brown. And I remember reading that book and learning about not only all the African-Americans that tried to that tried to and failed to graduate from uh, West Point, but also all those that went to the Naval Academy um, and didn't make it, you know, prior to Wesley Brown. But like it was just this curious of just trying to find some kind of identity because it's just I don't know how to dis I'm working on describing it to you all, but I guess the best way I would describe it is like a lot of women out there that can find themselves in a male dominated environment where they have to be like on their game. You know what I mean? Like they they they're very aware that there's not any other females there. And it I feel like no matter who you are, that's going to kind of nag at you. I think you have to be a different kind of person to kind of be like, oh, I'm just comfortable being one of one. I don't want anyone else here that, that looks like me versus those that are like, OK, you want to kind of wonder like, OK, why are there no women here? You know, what is it about the culture and the environment that is keeping women from participating? And then you look at it and you try to break that barrier down. And like, I think that's what a lot of us feel like as African-Americans, you know, um, at a lot of these elite institutions or jobs where there's not too many of us. But that was the point. You know, I, I bring that back to, you know, that was the initial start of like, OK, this curiosity of me with black history. And then that kind of picked up when I went to the Naval Academy. And that was when the first time I start to really dive into the text of, and by the way, this was out of class. This wasn't like a signed text in class. This was just me like outside of the classroom in my free time reading. But I started to read like, what was the one? Booker T. Washington, you know, I, Up From Slavery, his book. I read that the first time at the Naval Academy. Then I read uh, 
The Souls of Black Folks by W.B. Du Bois. I read The Miseducation of the Negro. And I started to read like all these texts that are very um, well known within like African-American history. Like if you Google a list of like African-American history or African-American literature, there's this like standard text of books that always pop up. It's like the Booker T. Washington, the W.D. Boys, Autobiography of Malcolm X, basically all the books I just named. And then, you know, I finessed and got my way into uh, the African-American history class, which they did offer. But it was, I did African-American history and I did African-American literature. But even in those classes, right, like I still wasn't like a big reader. You know what I mean? Like I, I you just, at the Naval Cam, you're just dealing with so much stuff at any given time. These classes, I feel like, were much more like self-learning. Like the teacher would get up there and lecture, but at the end of the day, you had to like read all the text. And a lot of texts and stuff people signed in class, I just didn't necessarily like have a, a passion for the text that she assigned. But it was still good to get exposed to like, you know, the African-American literature. I started to hear some more names, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, who I didn't know anything about. Um, I knew about Toni Morrison, but hadn't really read any of her books. Got that. And then in African-American history class, I can't think of any book that really kind of stood out where it was like, oh, this is, I didn't, I wasn't aware of this history. But surface level, you know, you're, you're writing papers, you're reading about history, but I mean, you're still taking, what was it? How many credits we graduated Annapolis with? Like 140 or something? I might've had like six credits on African-American studies or literature. But even then, right, like I was very, passionate about um, history and black history. Um, and I was actually looking at ways I could go study African-American studies outside of the academy, whether it was like on the summer at Harvard or something, because it's ironic too, that all the places that are like the think tanks for like African-American history and African-American culture are these elite institutions like the Harvards and the Princetons where they create these institutes that have traditionally kept us out for the longest. And so it's like that these elite places you know, are owning like his, black history and black culture. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just, in, I, it was interesting to me then, but I thought that's where I had to go, you know, to get that education. So, you know, what ended up happening was after I, you know, graduated Annapolis um, and end up coming into uh, the Marine Corps, that whole Marine Corps experience of being a black infantry officer and just, you know, everything that goes in with being that and being part of that institution. And I love the Marines. Don't be wrong. I listen, y'all Marine brothers. Listen, we all had our experiences. I had a unique experience that was unique to me and my backstory. And I'm going to talk about it on this platform, but just know again, if Annapolis made me very aware of like, okay, I'm different. When I got in the Marine Corps, I knew without a doubt that like, yo, this culture is a lot different than anything I'm used to. And that absolutely I'm different. But it made me get more of a sense of pride in my difference. You know, I felt a sense of pride. And this is why one of the ways, reasons I felt comfortable leaving, because I just knew that it wasn't um, for me. Um, but when I got out the Marine Corps and I moved to Newark with the intent of, you know, building an inner city boxing program, I started, this is when I made the decision, right? Like a lot of my peers are, when you come from like a service academy or elite school, the idea is that for whatever reason is that like when you go to graduate school, everyone's going for like, you know, to get their MBAs. That's like the first thing you get that mat, that MBA from an elite institution, like a top 10 school or something, or you go to law school or something like that. But I was very adamant about studying African-American studies, right? Like I wanted to do that. It's something I had been wanting to do from a younger age because I was just so curious from my time at the academy. 
And so when I got out to Newark, first thing I started doing was looking around for African-American studies program. And I found out, oh, almost dropped the mic. I found out that, you know, Columbia University was up the street. I was like, Columbia University has a really strong African-American studies program. I'm going to apply to that. And I called them and, you know, was going to submit an application in that. But then there was, uh, I noticed that, you know, Rutgers Newark was like literally across the street from the school I was working at, which was St. Benedict's. So I go to their website and I type in African-American studies and nothing pops up, but they did have American studies. And to be honest, like I really didn't know the difference. I just knew I wanted to study African-American studies. Um, sent the program director an email uh, through a mutual connection. And uh, when I went to go meet with him, you know, he was like, hey, I think we got this great program for you, American studies. It encompasses a lot of the stuff that you express interest in. And I think it'll be a good fit for you. Um, it was African-American, it was American studies with an emphasis on public history or, you know, applied history. So those of us who want to use history outside the classroom. And so I'm like, okay, this looks interesting. Uh, uh, he offered me admittance on the spot, said I just had to take one class. I was like, okay, cool. And I remember walking in that Rutgers Newark bookstore um, where they have like all the assigned texts, whatever, before I even took the classes. And I just remember seeing all the texts in the American studies place. Like it was like, the autobiography, it wasn't even the autobiography of Malcolm X. It was the Manning Marble book, um, Malcolm X, A Life Reimagined. You had, um, what was this book? Uh, uh, Invisible Man, you know, Na uh, Native Son, Richard Wright's Native Sons, and all these like, almost like radical black history texts, texts that I had never really heard of or, you know, never didn't follow. They call it the canon, right? Which is like the, how do we explain the canon? the traditional books that they associate with African-American uh, literature or history, the like the top 10 books that no matter where you go, they'll put these books in the canon. But then there's like all these other books. So I'm like, yo, how come these books aren't in the canon? You know, how come nobody tells about these books? And when you start to read these texts, you know, then you start to find out why, because I feel like it goes against a lot of the mainstream um, history lessons that you're taught in school, particularly like the Santa Claus version of like Martin Luther King and he's just happy-go-lucky and, you know, the Malcolm X, like the very surface level. But then the people that kind of get really deep and start to, you know, really criticize American culture and, you know, American history in general um, and try to do a better job of articulating like the black experience, you know, the James Baldwin's of the world, which is, you know, I'm when if I think about my personality, who I am now. Right. I would describe myself as a combination of like a Muhammad Ali, a Malcolm X and James Baldwin. Right. Um, and that's kind of like the personality I come at and I view the world from. Those are kind of the lenses I put together. Not not to say like 100 percent, but just in terms of like how they view the world. And like these are my heroes. These are the kind of people that I look up to. These are the, the national figures I look up to. Um, but. I just noticed that like this, their text was a lot, lot different. And so I just started reading and I started to want to learn more. And it was great because the nice thing about the American studies program was it was exposing me to all these different texts that I had never read. And one of the first texts I read um, from um, my introduction to American studies class was uh, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. And if you haven't read Invisible Man, it is, I highly encourage you to check that book out. Because it just showed this, it was just interesting. It was like the, the way the book was talking about the protagonist who they never really tell you his name, but just the issues he was dealing with, you know, that idealistic mindset of like, 
going off to school, wanting to be the next Booker T. Washington and, you know, uplift his people from their uh, arrogance or whatever. But um, then he goes and gets exposed to the real world. And it's just like the world just kind of tries to suck that out of him because he learns that like everybody has their own angle. And it ends with him finally kind of accepting this, that like he's his own man, his own person. But he has to go through this like vast experience. Right. But the interesting thing about the text and which is why African-American history and literature is so important is because as a black man, I can relate to that text. Like I read that text and it's like you see yourself. Um, and I was like, man, why have I never read this book before? And I know people were like, oh, these are, they, they always put these books in like the advanced programs and like advanced history programs, almost like you're some high level intellectual that now you get to pull the veil back and talk about, you know, the Ralph Ellison's and the Richard Wright's. But that just kind of started a landslide of reading. I ended up reading that book. Then for, and we were assigned that book for class. But once I read that book, I started reading a bunch of other stuff we weren't assigned out of class. Um, and listen to the audiobooks. The next one I did after that was, uh, what was it? Native Son, Richard Wright's Native Son about Bigger Thomas. And that was like, so I think he wrote Native Son came first, and then Richard uh, Ralph Ellison wrote Invisible Man a few years later. But Native Son was just this crazy story about Bigger Thomas and this this black this black man that was just angry. He was just angry all the time. And he expressed himself in a way that pretty much sums up what I think society felt about a lot of black people. It was like their worst fears of black people at the time, except he put it in a novel. And re reading that book, listening to that book on audiobook, I was like, okay, this is powerful. And that, you know, planted the seed early on for this, this native son. And then I read that and then got the, the um, James Baldwin book, Notes of a Native Son, to hear his critique on that. And so... It's just been this landslide, right, of just reading black history and black culture. And, you know, it's funny. If you come in my apartment right now, like, it's like a, it's interesting because of the book choices I have. Like, on one end of the spectrum, I've got all these business books, the marketing books. I got the Seth Godins. I got all the thought leaders um, building a story brand, Donald Miller. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I got, like, this radical black history. I got freaking Huey Newton. I got Malcolm X. I got, uh, who... What's the what's the big book that just came out? The, the new Frederick Douglass. You know, I think it's Prophet of Freedom. I got to knock that book out. Um, but uh, yeah, like the Huey Newton. I got the Huey Newton Reader on on audiobook. Uh, Ibram's X. I just finished it. The How to Be an Anti Racist. I want to read his book. Stamp from the beginning. But at it's crazy. At thirty two years old, I feel like I am a lot more educated about Black history and Black culture than I've ever been in my entire life. And I'm also just as hungry, right? Like I make a habit of every book. Like I have a rotation. I read black history pretty much every second or third book. Like I'll read a business book, but I'm also reading like a black history book. And I listen to these on, on audio, audible books too. Like another book I'm listening to right now is, uh, the was it, what's the James Baldwin book I'm listening to on audible? Um, I can't remember it. I gotta, I gotta find it. But uh, it's about Baldwin and his debate with William F. Buckley. And when I think of it, I'll, I'll drop it on another episode. But it's another good book. But, you know, I really enjoy these. I really enjoy, you know, learning about the black history and the black culture. And the reason I bring this up is because I think it's just it's a travesty that we're not taught this. You know, that we're not taught the we're not given more exposure to these texts and these authors. And especially if you're going to be in school, I mean, 
shoot, when you start school, we start school when we're like five or six years old. I could be wrong. I don't even remember. Like I'm not an educator. But then we're in school all this time. And it's just that so many of us African-Americans in this country do not know our own history. And yet we spend so much time in school. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's so hard. So many of us, at least in these urban schools and in these inner city schools um, that are so underperforming because we can't see ourselves reflected in a lot of the text assigned to us. People think that, OK, it shouldn't matter. You know, math is math, whatever. Um, but with regards to history, right, like I want to learn, I want to know like why this is important, you know, because for me, I was not a good, I won't say I wasn't a good student. I was always told I wasn't a good student, right? And I, my effort probably reflected it in time, especially in, you know, my AP history class. But I, it was just so hard for me to relate to the text. Like I'm not going to go home and read about, you know, tests of Derbyville's or little women when I'm like a black male living with my, my single mom in texas with my sister right like that's not a book that's going to inspire me and i don't think it's a it's it's the same for a lot of these kids that are going up you know in these projects all across the country these low-income communities so black history itself is empowering it's prideful and people and our kids not people but our youth and young adults need to learn this history because they're going to find strength in it you know when they read about um, you know, the Fred Hamptons of the world and what he was trying to do in Chicago before he lost his life. Or they read about James Baldwin explaining, you know, the world he found him, the, the world he found himself in, you know, with a racial profile and then the prejudice and everything that goes on with being being a person of color. This stuff is is really impactful. And for me, one of the things I'm I'm excited about with this podcast is I can actually talk about this stuff. You know, for the longest time, people were like, oh, what are you going to do with a history degree? What are you going to do with American studies? I knew I never wanted, I didn't want to teach like in the formal classroom setting, but creating content in this, in this podcast is a great way for me to share the knowledge that I'm learning with those of you out there that are willing to listen. And I'm not the only one, right? Like I got a lot of Naval Academy friends when we love talking about like black history and, you know, black thought leaders from back in the day. But it's like, we got to go talk about this stuff. You know, you should see black people when they get to get, uh, when they're able to get together for like intellectual stimulating conversations. We just don't get it that much. You know, like occasionally maybe you'll go to some spot in in Brooklyn or something. Or if you're in the Marine Corps, you go over to a buddy's house and you get to talk about this stuff on like an intellectual level, a deep level for like, you know, a night or an evening or something. And then you go back to the real world and this stuff never comes up again. Uh, at least until you get reconnected with your affinity group, you know, your frat brothers or for the other black veterans or whatnot. But like that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And like I'm I mean, I love it. I'm reading it all the time. And it's 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 great, man, because even for those of you out there, like with the Black Panthers, a lot of these groups, man, they just get such negative stigma. Right. There's good and bad with everything. Like people are human beings. Right. They're dealing with issues just like you're dealing with issues right now. But to discredit a lot of these these insta- these historical figures because of their radicalism or because of the stuff that they did later on in life, you know, whether they got caught up in drugs like Huey Newton or whatever, it doesn't take away from a lot of the stuff that they did previously. You know, like the free lunch programs that we have all across this country, you know, was developed by the Black Panthers. They were the first ones to start doing free lunch because they knew what our kids were dealing with at home. And a lot of these kids weren't eating. But people don't you know, want to tell you that stuff. Or even, you know, uh, Malcolm X and his organization for African-American unity. You know, he was expanding beyond this idea of like 
um, you know, the nation of Islam, he thought that the civil rights issue couldn't be solved within the American political system. So he wanted to go to the United Nations to have them intervene. But this is stuff that's not going to get taught to our kids. Like, this is stuff that's not getting taught in the classroom. This is stuff that they have to find out and they have to seek out. And which is, again, goes back to the power of African-American studies. <clears throat> and one thing that's always bothered me with regards to African-American history, um, particularly as like a man of color, not African-American history, but American history as a man of color is that America loves these like radical history figures, you know, the, the give me liberty or give me death. Right. You know, the um, damn man, well, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Paul Revere, you know, riding through the streets, you know, against the British and then the, the war heroes, you know, the Smedley Butlers and all these people that fought off the Nazis and Germans. But it's like I feel like for a lot of us as African-Americans, we have to the main his, mainstream history tries to push us on these like passive uh black historical figures with regards to civil rights you know what i mean it's like uh you know it's okay for paul revere and you know our leaders from the american revolution to talk about give me liberty give me death but when it's like a black panther raising a gun in the air and saying give me liberty give me death it's like no 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 we don't like that and we don't want to we don't want to teach that like let's just focus on like the martin luther king and you know nonviolence and and whatnot and it's just so backwards to me because this is what I'm saying, right? Like, this is why I feel comfortable talking to you all about this stuff now because I'm not the only one. There's so many people behind the scenes that, like, like this history, like these figures. They're rocking the Malcolm X tees, you know, underneath their button downs. And they're, they're having the posters in their homes and the Black Panthers. And, you know, they love the Beyonce's uh, Super Bowl performance a few years ago because that's us. That's our culture. That's strength, Right. We just like a lot of people out there um, empowered by strength and strong figures, you know, so are we. And we have a right to uh, speak openly about that and uh, get taught that, you know, in our in our history, in our classes. And so for me, to be quite frank, like I've just lost confidence in um, American education system to to teach our kids about themselves. And I think that's the biggest myth that we had coming out of, I think that's one of the biggest myths today. You know, we look at our kids and we're like, they're not learning about themselves or they're poor, uh, performing uh, poorly and they're not having a lot of these opportunities. But this is what I think happens when you start to allow other people to educate your children. So just because a kid goes to school, you know, each day, that doesn't um, take away the parents' responsibilities to educate them about themselves and, and their culture. And so, you know, when you're younger, right, there's all these things that people are trying to do to cultivate this sense of culture and a sense of black history whether it was like the african free schools where you know you would have them over the summer for a week and people would come over there and do the you know learn about african traditions and african culture or you know the black history bowl and stuff like that but for whatever reason and i'm guilt like i'm guilty of this and you hear me talk about this in other episodes but a lot of stuff that seemed taboo to me when i was younger i didn't understand the battle our elders were playing where that battle our elders were fighting and my mom and my family to make sure that we were learning this history. And guess what? It worked because they're planting a seed and I'm still seeking it now, but we need more of that. And for those of you out there, they're like, we don't need them learning this radical history or this African culture. They're just Americans, right? It should be all American. Listen, you can be an American, still be proud about your culture. There's so many affinity groups here in this country, whether Jewish groups, um, uh, Indian 
that do the Saturday schools. You know what I mean? Like they do stuff outside of the classrooms where they come together to make sure their kids are learning about their culture, Asian cultures. And as African-Americans, we've got to do a better job of making sure this stuff is happening. And for those of you out there that are listening to this podcast, you know, probably got a lot of veterans, probably got a lot of service academy graduates that are just kind of like following me. But we got to we have an obligation to teach our kids about themselves, because guess what? No one else is going to do it for us. And that's to me is one of the pathways I to see us to help overcome uh, so many of the issues that we find ourselves facing today with regards to the to the black community, this sense of identity and this sense of like, how do I belong in the world? And, you know, my fraternity, we always say you're only facing what other men have met. But our kids don't know that because they're not learning about it and they're not reading it. And I I'm very passionate about this. And I, you know, I think a lot of the IP and stuff I'm going to be doing outside of this podcast or, you know, when I write books and when I write marketing books and, and business books is going to be to incorporate that history into that IP because they want to know. You know, I wrote my thesis and I'm going to do a whole a thesis capstone. It was a thesis. Yeah. Um, for my for my final project. And I'm going to talk about, you know, the, the history I pulled into uh, pulled from that. Um, regarding the black entrepreneur experience. So like, this is a part of me, you know, this is me opening up and letting you all out there know that like, yeah, like I'm an entrepreneur. Um, yes, I'm a boxing coach, but I'm also so much more. And, you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about being is a, a intellectual social critic, right? Like I look at America and there's some things I don't agree with and I want to attack them head on through essays and, and podcasts and, you know, spoken word stuff. So, this is a step phase. This is phase one of that. And it's going to be great when, you know, as I continue with this podcast and I articulate these thoughts that I'll be able to get them on paper um, for you all out there and uh, publish them in some and some essays, because I think the essays is a good fit for me just in terms of like my personality um, and even just with the format of these shows. I mean, to be honestly, like these shows are are pretty much like an essay. Um, but I just get to have a lot more fun with it. So, you know, listening to this episode, you see why I decided to do perspectives on race, culture, and business, because like you can see, you can hear the passion in my voice when I talk about this stuff. Like I get amped up talking about it, you know, and I love that I have a platform that allows me to express that. And it's a lot more exciting. It's a lot more colorful. And again, there are going to be people out there that you're probably going to disagree with some of the stuff I'm saying. But I still appreciate you listening because you're allowing me to share, you know, my perspective. And um, the reason, you know, this podcast is important for me because I, I was talking to a friend and his goal is to end the ghetto. Right. He says he wants to end the ghetto and he's buying up a bunch of commercial real estate because he believes in 2020 we shouldn't have the ghetto anymore. And our kids shouldn't be living in the conditions that they're living in. I so his goal is to end the ghetto. And my goal is to allow us to show up in our full selves wherever we are. I feel like the the kind of guy I'm talking about right now, like the voice and the passion that's coming out, um, I could not always be this person. I didn't have I didn't have enough traction on my resume, you know, to speak openly about this stuff and like challenge this stuff and go toe to toe with words. I didn't have a history, you know, I didn't have the credibility and I do now. But I realized that like I could have been doing this all along. Um and I want others to understand that, like, yo, you can show up and be yourself and be badass. You can be 
passionate about African-American history and African-American culture. And you can be a great officer. You can be a great business person. You can show up to work in a full beard and a mohawk fade and still kick ass and not necessarily all the stuff that they try to tell us that we can't do. And so I want to change that. I want to, so many people spend their lives lying, hiding, and faking, never being able to show their, their true selves. And I want to end that. And this show is a step in the right direction for doing that because for me as a, a Naval Academy graduate, um, Afghanistan veteran, you know, social entrepreneur in Newark, in the trenches, creating opportunities for kids. If I'm thinking the way I am as a native son, born and raised in America, you know, what do you think other people are thinking? There's a lot of other people out there that are thinking like I am, but because of their jobs and their social requirements, they can never really speak out into this light. And so I have to use my platform as a way to speak for many of us. And I'm not speaking for everybody, but, you know, I feel like my close circle, my group of friends, I feel like a lot of us, you know, tend to think the same. Like my man, Mike Lloyd from Dope Coffee. Why do you think we click so hard? Man, this is the stuff we talk about. Um, and we talk about it over a cup of dope coffee like I'm hoping many of you all are while you're listening to this episode. Um, and this stuff is fun for me. I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about this. I mean, damn, even just talking on this show, I'm getting amped up. Y'all got me fired up. Um, but it's good, right? We're all just having fun. We're all just just learning about each other. Um, but yeah, if you ever want to talk African-American history, African-American culture, man, just hit me up. Shoot me a message on um, on my email. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Um, but, you know, we're going to the nice thing about the a podcast is my goal. This is a marathon, right? I might be repeating certain subjects or something, but we're going to grow together. You know, we're going to learn together, but I just wanted to share this with you all so you know another aspect of like my personality that's going to set precedence for some of the interviews I'm going to do later on and some of the topics, um, some of the topics we're going to go over, you know, and uh, this is important, man. Black history is important. We cannot expect other people to educate our kids. We have to educate them about themselves and their culture and all it sometimes it's just a simple conversation. It's just talking to them. Like I'm talking to you all right now, you know, just having a conversation saying, hey, what did you learn about Malcolm X? Hey, here's a book. I give you an example. And then before I, I end the show, I had a, a black midshipman over my house, um, came to visit me not too long ago, right? Him and his him and his boy. And he saw the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I was like, hey, man, have you read that book? He's like, no. He's like, he said no. And I was like, dude, how you not read the, the autobiography of Malcolm X? And he goes, well, if you ask the average black man, I almost cussed him out. I was like, dude, you are not average. You know, you go to the Naval Academy, you got a 3.8, right? You're not average. And he just looked at me and he shook his head. He's like, damn, you know what? You're right. And this goes back to <laughs> the pivot. This goes back to a broader issue of like one of the challenges I think we have as a people of, again, just like our kids, these elite institutions are not going to necessarily cultivate that spirit and that love for black history and black culture. You know, a lot of us are not going to get that's not going to get nourished, you know, when we're attending these schools. So we got to find creative ways to make sure that stuff gets nourished. And I had a great group of mentors around me at the academy that I could kind of lean on around that stuff. But for those of you out there listening, you might be that mentor. You need to start doing some leaning because otherwise they're not going to learn about it. And they're going to just be like everybody else. And they're not going to have a give back culture, right? We have to have a get back culture as African-Americans because we have to lift as we climb. There's no other way we can get out of the dire circumstances that we have in this country. The, the, the problems are too big to solve alone. We've got to do it collectively. We've got to pull each other up collectively. And I, I'm all about that life. 
and my every brand, business, anything you associate me with, right, is part of it. There are people out there going to say, well, you need to you need to make it first before you, you know, lift up others. Hey, that's true. But guess what? If we do that, that's going to fall into the same statistics where, you know, for every one of us that makes it, we leave 40 behind. I don't buy into that no more. They try to teach that to me. I don't think that's necessarily the case, right? I want to I want to raise the standard, you know, for every 20, for every one of us that makes it. Um, I want to have, you know, maybe only two that gets left behind. I'm not trying to leave down, you know, leave everybody at the bottom of the mountaintop. I think we can all get there together. But let me stop on my rambling. I appreciate you all tuning into my show. As you can see, I'm very passionate about it. Do me a favor. Be sure to subscribe and support the podcast by giving us five stars and leaving a review. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, all the other podcasts and platforms out there. And also, Forward this show to people you think might be interested, that might want to learn the uh, the perspective of a, a black veteran um, in the inner city and entrepreneur that can speak, you know, that can talk, um, you know, marketing and at the same time talk Malcolm X in the same, you know, in the same breath. If this is if this is something you think people would find entertaining and enjoying, forward it to them. You know, and also if you want to be a guest on the show, shoot me an email, message me. If you know a good guest, message me and we'll chop it up. You know, I'm very this this show is all about growth and learning. It's about empathy and understanding. I'm not trying to alienate people out there. I'm just being honest and sharing my perspective and the perspectives of those of my guests. And it's 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 a passion project for me. And I'm I'm really blessed to be able to do it. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Gifted Sounds Network. Man, there's a reason we're, we're doing this show with the Gifted Sound Network because this is a, a black startup here in, in Brooklyn that is curating black talent on podcasts because we, we have these conversations about the IP. Man, there's so much we can contribute to the world and the universe. We just got to have the courage to go out there and speak it. And then we need to put it on platforms that are committed to uplifting the culture, you know? That's the problem. We so, we're so quick to volunteer our IP to other people and other cultures that have no interest in supporting our communities. And we gotta do a little bit better job of keeping some of this stuff in house. And this is why it's really important for me to position this, this podcast on the Gift of Sounds Network because I believe in them and I believe in what they're doing, just like, just like dope coffee. So, Man, until next time, I know I took this podcast a little bit long, but peace and love, y'all. I appreciate y'all for, for listening to this show and sharing your, you know, sharing your hearts and, and minds with me. And uh, we're going to keep going. And uh, until next time, Mike out.